Welcome to Hope Community Podcast. It's great to have you join us today listening online. We pray you'll be impacted by our message this week. Enjoy. So usually at this point, I would be introducing our guest speaker and friend of this house. But today that's no longer true because today we're introducing Pastor Tim Sweetman and he's part of our very own pastoral team here at Hope Community. So we believe that this is a God appointment. Uh, We've sought the Lord on this and uh, He's gonna preach today. You're gonna see that He's pretty good value. If you uh, haven't heard Him speak before, you don't know Him. Uh, Tim's a man of God and and we're 100% convinced that um, He's God's man for this season for Hope Community and we're blessed to having Him. So I wanna also welcome his family, Kerry's here as well, and Isaiah's here as well, and Bella's here as well. And the truth is they've always been part of our family here at Hope Community, but this is still a special day. So why don't you put your hands together and welcome Tim as he brings the Word today. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, please take a seat. It is a really exciting day. Uh, this is this is very cool. Um, there are some downsides though to being a regular. <laughs> I used to enjoy being able to say if anybody had any complaints about my message, they can just email Dan at Hope Community. <laughs> now I've got a Hope Community address, Tim at Hope Community, so I can't duck the cover. And uh, brother, thanks for the uh, vote of confidence that after the message today, people will know that I'm a man of God. I just also want to let you know, right before the service today, Dan whispers in my ear, you're on probation till after this message. (laughs) (laughs) So Lord, help me, help me, Lord, help me, Lord. And I get to preach uh, on Father's Day, a beautiful day to be able to preach. I'm not really preaching on fathering or on Father's Day, but... It does come out of my fathering. Let me just show you a picture of uh, my crew. There they are. Um, Bronte is not with us here today. She's grown up enough to be able to live by herself. You know how they do that? And, uh, and uh, yeah, but that's my crew. I'm a, I'm a father and I'm a stepfather. And the journey has been really cool. But do you know what I've noticed? There's an interesting dynamic about growing further and further into fatherhood, that that part of it is that I seem to inevitably become a person I vowed I would never be. (laughs) Any any dads know that's part of the journey? Like, for example, thanks, Scotty, for example, dad jokes, (laughs) right? Like, I grew up in a home where I cringed and ducked for cover as my dad spewed out and inflicted on us these things that he called jokes that he didn't seem to realise that only he thought were funny. My only consolation in growing up in a house like that as I ducked for cover from these jokes was comforting myself with the thought that it stops with me. (laughs) I will not be a dad like that, right? But 
despite my best efforts, now like we might jump in the car to go somewhere as a family and the air conditioning will be on like the heat mode and I'll think it's a bit warm and I just can't help it. And I say, who's got us on a slow roast in here today? I'll be a tender roast meat by the time we get there. Ha, 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 ha. And I truly think it's funny. So this is a dynamic in fathering. I like inevitably become the person, the man I vowed I would never be. But the other day, it went next level, right? Ha, <laughs> ha. I caught words coming out my mouth that I'd tried to catch and shove back in there. I was picking my son Isaiah up from school. At the end of the day, he, he hurled his bag into the back of the car. He fell into the front seat and he looks at me and he goes, Hey, Dad, what's for dinner? And now it had been a big day. For me, like it had felt like a race. I've been, I've been getting kids where they need to be. I've been making sure all the houses lined up and all the works got done that need to get done. And it, it, I just felt like it was just a full race to get to school pickup at three. And, and, so, and when he asked that question, I'm like, how can, how can it be that time again? Didn't, I just, didn't we just work out what was for dinner like five minutes ago or something like that last night? How can it? And so I gave him this slightly annoyed and dismissive-toned I don't know, mate, instantly enthusiasm visibly drained out of his body and he slunk back in his seat and he went, oh, okay. <laughs> and that's when I realised I'd done it. I had given him that answer that I vowed as a kid I would never give my kid. I don't. No. Isaiah hates I don't know. All he wanted was to hang his hat on a confirmed hope (laughs) that he had something good to look forward to. (laughs) That's all. That's all. But I gave him an I don't know. I gave him no resolution to his longing for hope. I left him hanging in a place of uncertainty. Not only that, but in the I don't know, I left him in a place where none of his own hoping, none of his own thinking and none of his own doing could contribute anything to having that resolved for himself. You know what I mean? That's where I left him. In an I don't know. It's just so frustrating. So I've entitled the message this morning, Changing Your Relationship with Your I Don't Know. Changing Your Relationship with Your I Don't Know. And I just would like over the next little while to speak into those seasons and and circumstances that you're experiencing in what you're traversing right now where these words, I, I don't know, are present for you. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how to make sense of what did happen. I don't know what to do next. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how I am going to live with this. I don't know 
what God is doing. Hmm. Anyone know and I don't know at the moment? I don't know is present when something important is unresolved. And I don't know is present when you've exhausted all your resources, when you've thought all the thoughts you can think, when you've done every action you can see to do, and yet it remains unresolved. Or you haven't reached peace with it yet. I am particularly talking about the times when the presence of I don't know is experienced negatively, stressful, disappointing, disorienting. And when I don't know is present for an undetermined length of time. Wow, that's when true soul sickness and weariness and exhaustion can rear its head in our lives. So is I don't know, don't answer this one, is I don't know present for you at the moment? And if it is, I just want you to call to mind the the narrative in your life that it's contained in, the circumstances you're facing. And I just invite you to ponder for a moment your experience what it feels like for you to have an I don't know present and just call those things to mind for a while. As you're thinking about that, I, I wondered if you would allow me to take you on a little bit of a tour this morning because I, I really think there's some perspective around these I don't knows from the Bible that'll be helpful to see. Will you allow me just to do a little bit of like Bible story time this morning. And I loved your quiz, Tim, because I was, I was, I've got a little bit of a quiz this morning. First story of I don't know. I'm wondering, who said this? Who said this from the Bible? We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Anybody know who said that? It's a bit obscure. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It's a long name, starts with J. Oh, oh, who said, who said Jehoshaphat? Well done. King Jehoshaphat. Very good, very good. Second Chronicles 20. We're just going to go to the story. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already at Hazazon Tamar, that is Angedi. True to form, I've got a map. I've got a map to show you where this is. Let's go to that. Here we go. Here's here's Jerusalem up here. And here's the nations. We've got Edom and Ammon and um, they're coming from beyond the sea. A massive army has united from this region and they have marched against Jehoshaphat, who's in Judah, against him, and they are already, they are already at Engedi. That's a day's march. That's a day's march to Jerusalem. Alarmed. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. And the people of Judah, they came together to seek help from the Lord. They came from every town. 
every town in Judah, because actually a lot of it had already been invaded. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who's in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. And he he prayed the it's a beautiful prayer. Go and read it later on. I'm not going to read the whole lot out, but it's a, it's a powerful prayer. But down in verse 10, he says, But here now, here are men from Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. See how they come and drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God will you not judge them. And here it is. For we have no power against this vast army attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And there it is. There's the I don't know present in this story. And I just want you to take particular note of what it involves. Firstly, it starts with, for we have no power to face this vast army attacking us, i.e. what we have to bring, our strength, our strategy, our abilities. Wow, don't we know before this army, it ain't enough. It is not enough. Therefore, I am now in a position where I don't know. I'm now in a spot where I don't know. This is the king praying. King's job's to know, right? A king's job is to lead, come what may. This is a very vulnerable prayer. Jehoshaphat is praying. Not only does he own his I don't know, he, he leads the whole nation in it. Calls them all together. And they make a declaration before the Lord. Ah, oh, we don't know. And our eyes are on you and they posture. They posture toward the Lord and they wait and they watch. Verse 14, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah. He was a Levite. As he stood in that assembly among all the people, he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, you hear that? Jerudah. That's a combination of Judah and Jerusalem. <laughs> this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle's not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you'll find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerul. You'll not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm. And see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid in your I don't know. Don't be discouraged. Get out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. <laughs> At the word of the Lord, Jehoshaphat hit the deck. He just started worshipping. And then the next day they did everything that the Lord had said and he gave them these instructions. Take up like gear up and as we march out to take up that position. Remember they're marching out against a vast army that they knew they had no power. They're marching out. He says, you've got to worship, you've got to praise as you go. As they began to sing and praise, this is straight from the Bible, the Lord set ambushes 
what would, what would that look like? The Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, and they were defeated. Already they were defeated from the Lord's ambushes. That They were done. It's over. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir. So the alliance was disrupted. The Lord's ambushes kind of made it look like they weren't actually working with each other. And the Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. The army fought against themselves. Then This line's comical. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. <laughs> That's what it says. They helped to destroy us. Lovely. Thanks for that. So by the time the Israelites had taken up their position, they'd already been delivered. They turned up to find out they'd been rescued. And on a day that they thought could be their last, they spent three days picking up plunder and marching back to Jerusalem in a far stronger position than what they ever were in. The nations around heard how God had delivered them and they feared the Lord and the Israelites enjoyed rest, which sounds a bit different from I don't know, doesn't it? Rest, rest. When you trust God, everything will be okay, right? That is a beautiful point. Not my point for today. Today is more about noticing what happened in the place of I don't know. Like the fact that, I mean, that is uncomfortable as this I don't know was, and as stressful as this I don't know was, it was also the unique place from which they were able to actually make accurate assessment of the things they'd been hanging on to in running their own lives. It was the place where they got to that stage of saying, we don't have the power we need to defeat this army. And they let go of attachments that they'd been relying on, that were insufficient for them. Did you notice that in the I don't know? That's what the I don't know did. The I don't know was also the thing behind them gathering together before the Lord. And as they were gathered together, the word of the Lord came to a a, a Levite in the gathering. And because they were all there, because they didn't know, they were positioned to hear the word of the Lord outside of their normal patterns of knowing and listening. That stuff couldn't interfere. That's where they heard in a way, in a unique way. They could only hear. The I don't know was also the place where they could be led. It's vastly unusual to be called to march out against a vast army that's going to annihilate you. That's in normal ways of thinking Oh my goodness, the instructions from the Lord would have been interfered with and and tampered with, but they were in and I don't know. They'd heard the word of the Lord. They weren't being interfered with that which they'd just put down. And so they were able to walk in faith with God in his instructions in the I don't know in a way that they would never have if they felt like they knew or could do it. And so they experienced deliverance beyond what they could imagine. And blessing that they could never have dreamed through their own knowing. Hmm. There's a little bit of perspective. That's what goes on in the I don't know. Next story. You ready? You okay? Are you just saying that? Because you're like, this is his first regular message. We better give him some encouragement. (laughs) 
quiz. Who said this? I don't know how to carry out my duties. I do not know. I'll give you another little clue. He said, I'm only a child. I don't know how to carry out my duties. King Solomon. Yeah, I'm hearing that from a few places. That's what he said. I'll read it on Kings 3. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given by his father David, except that he offered sacrifice and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. That's a lot. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want for me to give you. Solomon answered, oh, you've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. And you've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. You see the regard he had for his father? Now, Lord my God, you've made your servant king in place of my father David. But I'm only a little child. And I don't know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen. This is a great people. Too numerous to count on number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. There it is again. The I don't know. Same pattern. I am only a little child. In other words, what I know and how I know to operate, I now assess as being vastly inadequate for me to take on this role of king that you've given me. An assessment of his own ability. And he was coming up short. Therefore, I don't know. I don't have it. I don't know how to carry out my duties. This is a beautiful prayer. The, he's saying, the one thing I know is that I don't know. The one thing I know is that I don't know how to do what you're asking me. And then he postured toward the Lord and made that request above all else that essentially said, Lord, help me know what I know I don't know. Lord, help me know what I know I don't know. That's an I don't know. Isn't it? Huh. Verse 10. Oh, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had come like that and asked for this. So God said to him, since you've asked for this and, and not for long life or wealthier yourself or for the death of your enemies, I'm going to do what you've asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you and there never will be after you either. Moreover, I will give you what you haven't asked for, both wealth and honour, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. Wow. Wow. After that, Solomon woke up and it says he knew it was a dream. I don't know about you, when you wake up and have a dream, you wonder what significance it's going to have in real life. Well, he woke up. Ah, oh, it was a dream, but he had the wisdom. And he had the discernment. And God had bestowed on him an empowering for his role 
that he asked for in his I don't know that has never been given again. A wisdom and discernment like no other and empowering like that. But again, my point today isn't the truth that God helps us know what we know we don't know. Like that is a beautiful truth. It is. Today we're going to spend some time. We've got to notice what happens in the I don't know. You imagine being Solomon in, in the high regard for your father but in his shadow. And then you get whacked in the most influential position among the people you have. That is an uncomfortable, stressful I don't know. There's no denying that that was a negatively experienced I don't know. But it's that I don't know, the very thing that made Solomon see very clearly that what I have isn't enough. My knowing and my experience, it's good, but I'm assessing it now as that which is not adequate for my next season. And he put it down. He put it down. And he postured and just owned and accepted the uncomfortable presence of I don't know in his life and said, I know that I don't know and I ask you to help me know. Do you see what happens in I don't know? What happens in I don't know can only happen in I don't know. Hmm. Have you seen this? Bet I don't know before? Or you're like, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah, that's like that. I didn't know. Another story? One more? We got, you got it in you? That's good, because I got it here. <laughs> this is Acts 16. No quiz on this one. No quiz. Because it says it in the first, Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mesa, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mesa and went down to Tros. Now during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, I can understand it if you're thinking, hang on, where's the I don't know? Um, fortunately, I've got another map, okay? Fortunately, let's go to this other map here. This is um, Paul's on his second missionary journey with some companions and they, they set out from Antioch, which is over here, and they'd actually been given instructions to travel through the region where they went on their first journey strengthening the churches that were all, all already there. That's what they were doing in Phrygia and Galatia, in this area here. In Galatia, Phrygia, they travelled through that region. Once they'd travelled through the familiar territory they'd been before, the idea, I imagine, was to break new ground for the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? That's, that, that was Paul's call. He's going to be the one who took the gospel to the Gentiles. So... They'd done the strengthening thing and Paul's like a trapped apostle thinking, okay, let's get this pastoral stuff over. Let's get to the good stuff, you know. So they get over here and I think Paul thought, let's go preach in Asia down here. Let's go down there and we're going to break new ground for the gospel of Jesus Christ down there. But who stopped them? 
Holy Spirit, this is a mission trip. They want to tell people about Jesus. And it was the Holy Spirit who said, don't. Don't go tell those people about Jesus. No, I don't think that was his tone. <laughs> it's a little bit unusual though, isn't it? Like, don't go down there. No, don't go down there. So, I don't, oh, it's a bit of a surprise. Well, okay. Well, change of plans. Uh, we're not going down there. So they just kept heading where, They just kept heading this way. And as soon as they got to Mesa, and they couldn't go down, and they thought, well, if we're not going down, we're going up. Bithynia. They thought, let's go up in Bithynia. We'll break some new ground for the gospel of Jesus Christ up in Bithynia. So they turned to go up. And this time it says it a bit different. It's not the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit of Jesus who said, no, no, don't. Don't go and tell the people of Bithynia about me. Don't do that. And so they couldn't go down. They couldn't go up. They don't want to go home. Um, they're like, well, I guess we'll just keep going this way to Tros, which is where they ran into a little bit of like a pickle because they weren't strong swimmers. <laughs> so they'd gone as far west as they could and they'd hit the ocean. And I, if I was them, I'd be like, what, what the? In Tros. What are we going to do now? We couldn't go south. We couldn't go north. We've gone as far west as we possibly can and we can't go any further. We've hit the ocean. We don't want to go home because that just feels like giving up. What? I don't know. You see that in this story? I don't know. Ever had an I don't know like that? When you're faith-filled, you head off with a sense of direction from Jesus, with it all in your heart to do and all you experience is closed doors, closed doors, closed doors, disappointment, delay, a cut off, and you end up in Tros. <laughs> wasn't on the itinerary. It wasn't there in Tros because they don't know. That's what they're doing there. And that's where they get a vision of a man from Macedonia. In a dream one night, Paul gets this vision from a man from Macedonia who says, begging, come over. Will you come over and help us? Um, apparently, Macedonia was further and, and, and grander than any of the expectations any of them had for that trip. But what do you know? They're in tros and they don't know and they think everything's fallen apart. It wasn't on the itinerary. It was just, they're just there until they work out the I don't know. But it's there that Paul gets the vision for Macedonia, which is greater kingdom purpose than any of them had dreamed. And God makes it clear, mm, it's not Asia, it's not Bithynia. We're going further. We're going Macedonia. Do you know what the gateway was to Macedonia? Tros. Just let that sit. They were only in Tros because they didn't know. They were only in Tros because everything else had closed. It wasn't on the list. And yet they were perfectly positioned to get to Macedonia, which was the further and greater that God had always planned for this trip. Hmm. You know, we've got an old Camry, 2003 Toyota Camry. 
It's been a wonderful car. Go and buy one. If you like, they just never stop. Um, recently, though, before the last few services, as I've checked the oil, I've noticed it's using oil. Yeah. And I don't like oil being used. Uh, it, to me, it represents a problem. Something's going on. It needs to be fixed. So I've taken it to my mechanic, the last two services, and I said, look, yep, the service, and then just check out what's going on with this oil. Can you check it out? Because I'm really worried about it. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries, Timmy. He calls me Timmy. No worries, Timmy. Timmy. That's the name on the key tag when I pick up my car. Timmy. From there. Yeah, no Anyway, go pick up my car. Ah, oh, thanks for the service. What about the oil? Oh, didn't look at that. That happened the first time. Second time. Ah, oh, thanks for doing the service. Uh, what happened with the oil? Ah, oh, didn't look at it. Third time, I went to pick it up again and said, thanks for the service. What do you reckon about that oil? And he just looked at me. He goes, you know, you, you know what, you and, you and the oil that's going down? He, he said, I know for you, you check the dipstick and you see half a litre less of oil uh, is in it now than what was in it last time. And to you, you kind of panic about that because you only know that that means there's a problem and you worry about the dollars, you're going to need to spend it to fix it up and all that sort of stuff. He goes, Tim... This car's done 230,000 kilometres. He said, over time, engines, they get gaps in them inside. They get gaps in stuff and they need lubing. And oil's job is to get moved around the engine and find those gaps and, and, and seal them up. It's actually good for your engine. He said, so a little bit of oil leaks. But it's oil doing the job it was there to do. Mm. Oh, that's an interesting way of looking at it. And he said, as the pistons go up and down in the bores like that, the rings and the pistons, they wear and the, the sleeves get a little bit out of shape and all that sort of stuff and your engine can start to lose compression. I mean, you'd know all this, right? You'd know all this. Um, and you start losing compression. He said, but, but oil's there. It gets whipped up and the oil gets in those little gaps. It's actually really good for the engine because it helps it with its power. And he goes, in that, a bit of oil gets burned. He said, so if you like, you can keep viewing a diminishing, a diminishing amount of oil as a problem that makes you panic and throw dollars at it to fix it up and we'll do it. Or you could change your relationship. These are my paraphrases of my mechanic. Or, well, he actually said, or you can just realise this is oil doing its job and you can accept the presence of a diminishing level of oil and the inconvenience of having to top it up a little bit and just be thankful that there's oil in here that he's taking care of your ageing engine and it's doing its job. You know what? Um, without even making the choice now, when I check the dipstick, I pull it out and the, the level's low. And I used to get this horrible feeling inside and worry, what's the problem? Do you, know what, do you know what it's done to me now? I say, thanks, oil. <laughs> thanks, oil, for doing your job. This is good. And I top it up and I say, go, boys. Do what you're made to do. That was a random story, wasn't it? Why'd I tell that? Because some of you here, you're contending in the midst of I don't know seasons. 
and the stories are unique, the narratives are custom just to you. But I don't know he's present and it's stressful and it's difficult and it's disorienting and it's hard. Some who've been there for a while are even soul sick and weary of the unresolution of I don't know. But I wanted to give some perspective today from these Bible stories. Hard as I don't know seasons are, they are the only seasons when we have opportunity to make accurate, kingdom accurate assessment of what we have and attachments and reliances that we have in our lives that we didn't even know before then. And it's in those times we have opportunity to put them down. We can just try to scramble back to a place of knowing if we want, but it's not the richest decision to make. The richest decision to make in an I don't know is actually to release what it is we've moved beyond and then to accept the discomfort of I don't know in our story. I'm not saying you have to make it feel good. (laughs) It's like hugging a cactus. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know, it's never gonna feel good unless you won the lottery and you say, I don't know how this happened. That's a pretty good experience of I don't know. But in many cases, it's like hugging a cactus, embracing, accepting the discomfort of your I don't know and posturing to the Lord and saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then watching and waiting. So I just wanted to invite you to change your relationship with I don't know today. I don't know what your relationship with I don't know has been like, but I'd imagine maybe a bit like I was with oil. Maybe you've only ever known to have a relationship with I don't know that it represents the presence of a problem that just needs to be gotten rid of. Maybe you've only known quite a volatile relationship with I don't know, like saying, while you're here, I can't, I can't be full. I can't move, I'm stuck. And it's that relationship I wanna invite you to change. It's a gritty call. Maybe if you decided to just accept in that place of I don't know and stop the fight with it, maybe that's where you'll begin to see what it is you've moved beyond that has led you to even being in the I don't know. A reliance or an attachment or a way of thinking or a behaviour that isn't cutting it for you and isn't bringing resolution. It's in the I don't know. You have opportunity to let that go to say, that was my reliance, but no more. I'm putting that down. Maybe as you decide to accept, I don't know, and there's no thinking I can think that would help me know, and there's no doing I can do that would resolve my I don't know, maybe that's when you'll be in a position to be able to hear the beautiful prophetic voice of the Lord to you and what He's really saying. Maybe from that place of, I don't know, you'll even realise that what do you know? You are perfectly positioned to take the step, the gateway to the further, bigger, grander that God has for you than you would ever dare to know your way to. 
Do you want to change your relationship with I don't know today? It's not a nice thing usually, but it's powerful when you release, when you accept it, and when you posture to the Lord in your I don't know. I want to pray and we're going to sing. Thanks, God. You know we don't like I don't know. I'm certain of that. But I ask that as in hearts here right now, people see perspective from your word of your purpose and your move in seasons of I don't know. Ask for sight, sight, see, sight and see, attachments and reliances in each heart here of things that have been moved beyond, attachments and reliances that aren't sufficient for the journey ahead. And may there be a a letting go and a putting down and in that place, this unusual freedom to be able to embrace the I don't know. Freedom in I don't know though, resolution hasn't yet come. Come Holy Spirit, And in that place, speak your beautiful prophetic words, whatever they might be, where it would be direction or words of identity or just a beautiful work of your comfort and your love. And may it be heard outside of familiarity and outside of I know what to do in ways that hit home in hearts that brings restoration and courage. And I ask that there'll be, well, I just ask for your abundant deliverance and blessing to flow after that. Not because we've worked out the answers, but because you've uttered words that are too high for us usually to hear, uninterfered and understand. And you have been allowed to bring about the life and the grace and the blessing that you only you can. Thank you, Lord. I pray that be experienced here today. Um, in Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to Hope Community Podcasts. We hope you enjoyed today's message and remember to subscribe to the channel to keep up to date. From everyone here at Hope Community, have the best week.